0: Yolanda Saldivar had lived in San Antonio her entire life. Living in the heart of the Tejano music world, she'd heard all about Selena Quintanilla, the rising star who'd been dominating the Tejano Music Awards for years.
1: She'd never been a fan. In fact, she'd never bothered to give the singer a chance, until her niece invited her to a Selena concert in June of 1991. Yolanda would tolerate it for her niece's sake, but she didn't expect to like it. But the moment Selena took the stage, Yolanda was mesmerized.
0: Her voice glided between rich soprano tones and deep, husky growls. She was confident, but humble. Sultry, but clean-cut. Larger than life, but down-to-earth. Selena was everything. And for the time she was on that stage, the rest of the world didn't matter.
1: After the first song, Yolanda's mind was made up. She would do whatever it takes to get closer to Selena. One death can change the world. At least that's what assassins believe. Every week, we examine the famous assassins of history and the men and women who were assassinated.
0: Welcome to Assassinations on the ParCast Network. I'm your host, Bill Thomas.
1: And I'm your host, Kate Leonard. This is our first episode on Selena Quintanilla, the oft-proclaimed queen of Tejano music. She was only 23 when she was shot and killed by Yolanda Saldivar. Her best friend, her personal assistant, and the president of her fan club.
0: If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Monday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show.
1: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Cause
0: I'm It was 1993. Yolanda Saldivar kneeled on the floor of her bedroom, lighting a row of white votive candles. The low altar was decorated with offerings, flowers, and front and center, a framed photo of her personal deity, Selena Quintanilla.
1: In the dim glow of the candlelight, the room's walls were papered with Selena posters. The bookshelf was stacked with memorabilia, vinyl records, CDs, VHS tapes, commemorative mugs. It was the bedroom of a little girl going through a phase of obsession with her favorite singer.
0: But Yolanda wasn't a little girl. She was a 33-year-old woman, the founder and president of the official Selena fan club. And now that she'd quit her job and moved to Corpus Christi, Texas, she was closer to her idol than she'd ever dreamed possible.
1: Her new roommate had moved out after only a few weeks. She was too spooked by the Selena-centric decor.
0: Yolanda didn't mind. Now, she had the whole place to herself. The rent wasn't a problem. She had a whole bank account full of fan club membership fees at her disposal.
1: Nothing was off limits if it would keep her close to Selena. She was willing to steal, lie, or even kill.
0: The news of Selena's death at 23 rocked the Tejano music community. She was the queen of Tejano music. Selena was the hottest female artist that had ever been in the Tejano world. Uh, She broke a lot of barriers for female artists that are gonna come behind her. Assassinations are often carried out for clear reasons, political, philosophical, or personal. But sometimes the motivations are so muddled that making sense of them is impossible.
1: Yolanda insisted that the shooting was an accident. Selena's family called it a business dispute that had gone terribly wrong. To the Latin American community, it was a cold-blooded assassination of a beloved icon.
0: This week, we'll follow the obsession, lies, and conflicts between Selena and Saldivar that led to the singer's tragic death on March 31, 1995. Next week, we'll explore the aftermath of the murder, its impact on the Latino community, and what might have happened if Selena's life hadn't been cut short.
1: There was very little empathy for Yolanda Saldivar in the wake of Selena's death. During her trial, which the media dubbed the O.J. Simpson trial for Hispanics, crowds rallied outside the courthouse chanting, Hang the witch!
0: Most people were content to believe Yolanda was an obsessive lunatic or a cold hearted monster. But the facts of her life paint a much more complicated picture.
1: Yolanda Saldivar was the baby of her family, the youngest of eight children born in San Antonio, Texas, in 1960. Her father, Francisco, worked hard as a waiter, but it was barely enough to support the family. They bounced around San Antonio in a series of rented homes, moving wherever Francisco found the best work.
0: Yolanda attended seven different schools from kindergarten through high school, never staying in one place long enough to make many friends. By all accounts, she was a wallflower, quiet, a loner, a decent student, but never outstanding.
1: After high school, she started working toward a nursing degree at community college. She kept living with her parents, and to pay for tuition, she got a job as a nurse's aide.
0: That same year, Yolanda took over raising her older brother's three children. She loved the kids and raised them like her own, but on top of her college classes, she now had three extra mouths to feed.
1: Yolanda worked a string of jobs, including a few years as a receptionist at a dermatology clinic. But with all the work, studying became impossible, and after four years, she was still nowhere near completing her degree.
0: Yolanda had grown up in poverty, watching her father toil through extra shifts just to put food on the table. She had worked hard, studied diligently, but it looked like she was destined for the same fate unless she took matters into her own hands.
1: In 1983, Dr. Faustino Gomez noticed that $9,200 was missing from the bank account of his dermatology clinic. The only other person with access was his 23-year-old secretary, Yolanda Saldivar.
0: Yolanda was fired immediately. The doctor sued her, but they settled the matter out of court and no criminal charges were filed. The incident, whatever Yolanda's role in it, was eventually forgotten.
1: Shortly after that, Yolanda transferred to the University of Texas. She finally earned her nursing degree in December 1990 at the age of 30.
0: Even after graduation, Yolanda kept living with her parents. Her diploma hung proudly on the entrance room wall. She was the only one among her siblings to finish college.
1: Now a registered nurse... Yolanda threw herself into her work. During the days, she worked full-time at a hospice center, taking care of terminal cancer patients. Then at five o'clock, she headed over to the San Antonio Chest Hospital, caring for patients with respiratory problems until one in the morning.
0: If she was under stress, she never showed it. She always seemed to be in a good mood at work, humming along to her headset as she set about her daily tasks
1: but after a few months, cleaning bedpans was less fulfilling than she'd hoped. The music in her headset was the only thing that kept her going. On her rare nights off, she slipped out to see concerts at the clubs and music halls
0: downtown. In the 80s, San Antonio had a higher concentration of Mexican-Americans than any other city in the country. It naturally became the epicenter for Tejano music, a fusion of Mexican folk and American pop and rock. It was pioneered by young Mexican-American artists as a way to combine the traditions their families had fought to preserve with the modern American culture they lived in.
1: The genre started gaining popularity in the 70s, when Yolanda Saldivar was growing up. By the 80s, some of her high school classmates had even become award-winning Tejano stars, Yolanda herself had never been too involved in the music scene. But now that she was out of college, and her niece and nephews were old enough to look after themselves, she started going to concerts in her spare time.
0: She was a particular fan of Shelley Laurie's who'd been nominated for Female Entertainer of the Year at the Tejano Music Awards every year since 1984.
1: As of 1991, she had never won. For the past four consecutive years, she'd been beaten out by Selena Quintanilla, the frontwoman of Selena y los Dinos.
0: Sometime in early 1991, Yolanda approached Shelley Lares about starting a fan club. In the pre-internet days, mailing lists were the easiest way to keep fans engaged and in the loop about upcoming concerts. It was normal for bands to send out newsletters and merchandise through an official fan club.
1: Shelly Laris turned her down. She and her father-turned-manager wanted to keep the business within the family. Yolanda took it in stride. Only a few months later, another opportunity came calling, one she never would have expected.
0: Yolanda had never been a fan of the glitzy MTV-esque brand of Tejano music that was catching on from young artists like Selena. She even complained to her co-workers that she hated Selena for winning the Tejano Music Awards every year. But one night in June 1991, Yolanda's niece wanted to go to a Selena concert. She reluctantly agreed to tag along.
1: In Yolanda's words, when I saw her, she lit up the stage. Yolanda was hooked from the very first song.
0: For Yolanda, a lifelong loner who'd never quite excelled at anything, Selena's glamorous, larger-than-life stage persona likely represented an ideal of perfection she'd always dreamed of achieving.
1: And if she could never be as perfect as Selena, at least she could bask in some of her glory.
0: At the end of the concert, Yolanda searched for a stand to buy a souvenir, a t-shirt, poster, anything, but there wasn't a single piece of merchandise for sale.
1: Yolanda did manage to find Selena's sister, Suzette Quintanilla, who was in charge of the band's merchandising. She asked Suzette if they had ever thought about starting a
0: fan club. Suzette gave Yolanda the phone number of their father, Abraham Quintanilla Jr., who managed all the band's business.
1: Over the next few days, Yolanda left Abraham a number of voicemails. She claims it was only three. He said it was 15. Either way, he eventually grew so annoyed that he called her back.
0: Yolanda pitched her idea. For a $22 membership fee, she would send out t shirts and newsletters to Selena's fans. The proceeds would be donated to charity in Selena's name. For no extra time, money, or effort on Abraham's part, Selena's fan base could grow exponentially.
1: It was a hard offer to refuse. He appointed Yolanda as president of the official Selena fan club.
0: Organizing the club turned out to be pretty easy. She put together some t-shirt designs, a fact sheet with exclusive interviews with Selena and the band, and a schedule of upcoming concerts. When fans sent in their membership fees, Yolanda deposited them in a bank account she'd set up for the club.
1: Since she was the one running the club, everyone agreed it was only natural that the account be in her name. Yolanda seemed trustworthy.
0: More than that, she was dedicated. Soon, she took over the band's publicity department, corresponding with radio stations and setting up events in both San Antonio and Corpus Christi, Texas, where the Quintanillas were based.
1: Helping out the family made Yolanda feel important. And when she finally met Selena herself in December 1991, it was a dream come true. She was just one step away from greatness.
0: Yolanda was still working her day job as a nurse, but outside of business hours, she grew more and more consumed by Selena. Some might even say obsessed.
1: Her bedroom in her parents' house was covered in Selena posters. She had a growing VHS collection of live concert videos. Her shelves were stocked with merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, calendars, everything Selena. She'd pass them out to anyone who came over to the house. One day, a radio station employee stopped by to pick something up. He was startled to see a makeshift altar with pictures and burning votive candles.
0: The altar may have been a bit much, but it's common for people with low self-esteem and unsuccessful personal relationships to worship celebrities. Any connection with their idols, real or imagined, can boost their own sense of self-worth. Celebrity obsession doesn't always become pathological or dangerous.
1: The Quintanilla family didn't find Yolanda's behavior creepy or worrying. On the contrary, she was indispensable. By the end of 1992, the Selena fan club's membership had grown to 1,500 members in San Antonio alone. So when Selena made plans to open a fashion boutique in Corpus Christi, Texas, it's no surprise she asked Yolanda for help.
0: Yolanda had proven herself trustworthy, dedicated, and business savvy and now her celebrity idol was asking personally for her help. She jumped at the chance. In late 1993, Yolanda Saldivar quit her nursing job, moved out of her parents' house, and ventured two hours south to Corpus Christi. It was a decision that would change history. Coming up, we'll dive into the obsessive relationship that developed between Selena and her biggest fan. Now, back to the story.
1: Selena Quintanilla didn't choose music. She was born into it. Her father, Abraham Quintanilla Jr., had been in a pop band called Los Dinos. They had a few minor hits, But after a decade of dwindling crowds and unsold records, Abraham finally called it quits, moving to suburban Lake Jackson, Texas, and got a job as a shipping clerk. Selena was born on April 16, 1971, on Easter Sunday. Not that it mattered to the Quintanillas, who were devout Jehovah's Witnesses. They didn't celebrate holidays or birthdays.
0: Practicing music was a requirement in the Quintanilla household. The older two children, A.B. and Suzette, were decently talented. But even as a young girl, there was something special about Selena. She had a natural gift.
1: Abraham's musical dreams were not dead yet.
0: He organized the children into a little family band. A.B. played bass guitar, Suzette played the drums, and nine-year-old Selena was the lead singer. He christened them Selena e los Dinos.
1: On the weekends, the whole family loaded into a ramshackle old bus they'd nicknamed Big Bertha and trucked across Texas to minor gigs.
0: Music came before everything, even school. After years of fighting with teachers about missed classes and unfinished assignments, Abraham pulled 13-year-old Selena out of school.
1: The very next year, Selena y los Dinos finally scored their first hit single and their second and third hit singles, The band was taking off, and as her father had predicted, Selena was the star.
0: In 1987, 15-year-old Selena won Female Vocalist of the Year at the Tejano Music Awards. But success wasn't going to her head. Reacting to the win, she told the reporter, God, that's neat. At least I know I'm accomplishing something.
1: Things didn't slow down from there. The band lived on the road, traveling for weeks at a time, the whole family eating and sleeping together on the tour bus.
0: In her downtime, Selena sat in the back of the bus, sketching fashion designs and sewing her own stage costumes. She dreamed of opening her own boutique. Music was something her family shared, but fashion was something all her own.
1: By 1990, Selena was 18 years old, but she still lived under her father's watchful eye. She wasn't allowed to date, and every aspect of her image, down to her hair and makeup, had to earn Abraham's approval. When she struck up a romance with the band's new guitarist, Chris Perez, they kept it a secret for years, knowing Abraham would never let it happen.
0: They were right. Abraham inevitably found out, and he responded by firing Chris from the band and telling the young lovebirds their relationship was over.
1: The separation lasted a few months. Then, on April 2, 1992, Selena tracked Chris down, knocked on his door in tears, and asked him to marry her. That very afternoon, they married in secret at the Corpus Christi Courthouse. The 20-year-old bride wore jeans and a Coca-Cola jacket.
0: The news circulated through the courthouse and made it to the radio within hours. Selena was too afraid to face her father. For a day or two, The Newlyweds hid out in San Antonio.
1: When they came back to Corpus Christi, Abraham knocked on their door. In his gruff, business-like demeanor, he apologized for pushing the couple apart. He asked Chris if he'd be coming back to the band. They'd had their differences, but they were, now and forever, a family.
0: The next month, Selena released her third album, the record was certified 10 times platinum. It was the first ever album by a female Tejano artist to sell over 300,000 copies.
1: In December 1992, Selena told a reporter, I get taken advantage of real easy. I trust too easily. That's my problem. And I end up getting hurt in the long run.
0: As Selena's music was taking off, she still harbored her old dream of opening a boutique. She had been sewing her own costumes for years, and with her growing star status, there was bound to be a market for her designs.
1: Abraham thought the idea was insane, but Selena didn't care. This boutique would be hers and hers alone. She called on some friends for counsel, including her devoted fan club president, 33-year-old Yolanda Saldivar.
0: Selena and Yolanda had been friends since they first met in 1991. They had a lot in common. They'd both come from transient, close knit families. They were both loners with few close friends. And when Selena needed support, Yolanda was always more than willing to provide it.
1: In late 1993, Yolanda moved to Corpus Christi to work full time as Selena's personal assistant. She handled the business logistics. She helped Selena choose her outfits. She even gave her neck massages to
0: help with the stress. And when the boutique was ready to open, Abraham recommended Yolanda take over as the manager. Selena was on the road too much to oversee the day-to-day operations, and there was no one the family trusted more than Yolanda. In
1: January 1994, the first Selena etc. boutique opened in Corpus Christi, Texas. That September, a second location opened in San Antonio. Yolanda took over as manager of both locations. Publicly, the shops were an instant success.
0: But behind the scenes, it was chaos. Yolanda's first order of business was picking a fight with Martin Gomez, the fashion designer who'd helped put together the clothing line over which one of them deserved the bigger desk.
1: That was just the tip of the iceberg. Receipts were going missing. Models weren't being paid. Whenever anyone pointed out a problem, Yolanda would snap, that is none of your business. No one was sure whether she was skimming or if she was simply incompetent.
0: Yolanda was in over her head, but she couldn't back down now. She'd become Selena's most trusted confidant. She had access to her schedule, her personal cell phone number, even the keys to her house. Yolanda's name was on the company checks and credit cards. It was the ultimate power rush.
1: Representing Selena's boutiques gave her license to share in Selena's glamour. She used the company card to rent Lincoln Town Cars, take clients to upscale restaurants, and buy herself a new cell phone.
0: These were technically work expenses. She had to keep up the company's image.
1: The other employees didn't see it that way. But they couldn't complain to Selena about it. Yolanda controlled who could speak to her
0: and when. And even if they did complain, Selena was bound to side with Yolanda anyway. Her personal assistant was becoming the only person she could trust.
1: In November 1994, Selena was recording a soundtrack for the movie Don Juan DeMarco. The music director flew in all the way from Mexico to work with her. They'd barely gotten started when Abraham picked a fight over a lyric that mentioned
0: Jesus. Everyone agreed to change the lyric, but Abraham had been set off. He pulled out a Bible and spent hours lecturing the music director to the Jehovah's Witness faith.
1: All the while, Yolanda was right there by Selena's side, massaging her aching neck, making sure she drank her SlimFast shakes.
0: Things weren't any better at home. Selena and Chris were both under a lot of pressure, and it was starting to wear on them. They argued about everything from whether Chris was allowed to tour with other bands, to whether heavy metal CDs were appropriate to keep in the house.
1: Late one night, Selena and Chris were both exhausted after stumbling home off the tour bus. Chris set his guitar on the edge of the bed where Selena was sleeping, and a few minutes later, she stretched out and kicked it onto the floor.
0: This launched an argument that escalated until Chris picked up the guitar and threw it right past Selena, knocking over a table.
1: Two years into their marriage, the couple was talking about separating. Chris had to tour with the band, but whenever Selena traveled on her own business, Yolanda was the one who accompanied her instead.
0: Yolanda was always on Selena's side. She called her Miha, my daughter. Together, they hatched a plan to open another boutique just across the border in Monterrey, Mexico. Selena said, when we triumph in Mexico, the success will be ours together.
1: She didn't have any idea that the first two boutiques were already struggling. The budget was going under. The staff had been slashed from 38 employees to just 14 due to Yolanda's habit of firing anyone she didn't get along with.
0: This may have been why, in late 1994, Abraham cautioned Selena to stay away from Yolanda. He was beginning to think she was untrustworthy.
1: Selena brushed him off. He was just being overprotective as always. She had no reason to mistrust Yolanda. She'd always been completely, obsessively loyal.
0: That December, Yolanda and the boutique employees pooled together money to buy Selena a beautiful custom-made ring. 52 diamonds set around a glittering white gold egg.
1: Selena loved Easter eggs. She'd been born on Easter Sunday, after all. Ever since she was little, she'd collected anything egg-shaped. From then on, Selena wore the ring on her index finger so everyone would see it when she was holding a microphone.
0: Selena didn't know that there had been no employee gift pool. The $3,000 ring was paid for entirely with Yolanda's company credit card.
1: By January 1995, Abraham was getting phone calls from fans who'd sent in their money to join the Selena fan club, but hadn't received
0: their merchandise packs. He looked into it and noticed something strange. There had been a number of large checks written out to Yolanda, signed in her own handwriting. Thousands of dollars were gone with no explanation. Selena
1: didn't want to believe her best friend was stealing from her. But she had to agree, something wasn't adding up.
0: It was the evening of March 9, 1995. Abraham, Selena, and Suzette Quintanilla called Yolanda in for a meeting at the music studio. From the moment she walked in and saw the tribunal, she knew it was over.
1: Abraham showed Yolanda the documents. He asked her about the complaints from the fans, the missing money, the checks Yolanda had written to herself.
0: Yolanda just stared at him and repeated, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. She couldn't lie her way out of this. She was trapped.
1: Suzette got up and screamed in her face. She called Yolanda a liar and a thief.
0: Abraham kept pressing. He threatened to call the police if Yolanda couldn't explain where the money had gone.
1: But the worst part was the look on Selena's face as she realized that her father was right. The only person she trusted had betrayed her.
0: That was what scared Yolanda the most. Not jail time, not debt. Disappointing Selena was the worst thing she could imagine. She was about to lose the only thing that ever made her special
1: and it was all because of Abraham. If he had kept to his own business, none of this would be happening.
0: Without another word, Yolanda got up and left. There was no coming back from this, but Yolanda still had one card to play. If she was going down, she wasn't going down alone.
1: Two days later, on March 11, 1995, Yolanda Saldivar drove to a gun shop in San Antonio and bought a snub-nosed 38 revolver.
0: Coming up, we'll continue exploring the last weeks of Selena's life. Now, back to the story.
1: It was March 11, 1995. Two days earlier, Yolanda Saldivar had been confronted about money missing from the Selena fan club bank account. Her next move was to visit a gun shop
0: in San Antonio called a place to shoot. This was not Yolanda's first experience with embezzlement. She would have known full well that if Abraham Quintanilla called the police, they'd discover she'd been stealing sooner or later. She had to stop it from getting to that point, one way or another.
1: She told the gun shop clerk she was an in-home nurse who'd been threatened by a patient's family. He pointed her towards a small, compact, snub nose revolver and a box of hollow-point bullets.
0: Hollow-point bullets expand to cause larger wounds and more rapid blood loss than other types of bullets. They're a common choice for self-defense because they're much more likely to cause critical injuries.
1: Yolanda bought the revolver for $232. The clerk told her it would take two days to process the registration, and then she could come back and pick up the gun.
0: Meanwhile, Abraham contacted the bank and found out that all the records for the Selena fan club account had disappeared. Yolanda had apparently made off with the only copies.
1: Still, Abraham didn't call the police. He would rather let her resign quietly. And more importantly, they'd need those missing records to file taxes, and keeping Yolanda on their good side was the surest way to get them. On March 13th, four days after the confrontation, Yolanda reached out to a lawyer for advice. She drafted a letter of resignation from the Selena Etc. boutiques, citing harassment from the Quintanilla family as her reason for leaving.
0: That same day, Yolanda went back to a place-to-shoot gun shop and picked up the revolver she'd bought. She then drove the two hours back to Corpus Christi and checked into a motel. The next morning, she called Selena. Yolanda wanted to meet.
1: On March 14th, Selena met Yolanda in the parking lot of k Bob's Steakhouse, 25 miles outside of Corpus Christi. Yolanda showed Selena the revolver, claiming she needed it to protect herself against Abraham.
0: She may have actually believed Abraham was dangerous. It also could have been a ruse to win Selena's sympathy. Either way, Selena told her to get rid of the gun. She would make sure her father stayed away from Yolanda.
1: Selena also told Yolanda to keep working on the new boutique they'd been planning to open in Monterey, Mexico. She wasn't officially fired from Selena, etc. Not yet.
0: The next day, Yolanda went back to a place to shoot gun shop and return the revolver. She went back to conducting business as usual, traveling between Texas and Monterey, working out deals for the new boutique.
1: Or keeping up appearances. Yolanda wasn't stupid. She knew she'd be fired soon enough. On March 26th, Yolanda stopped by the bank in Monterey and found out that her name was still authorized on the company account.
0: She cleared out the money and financial records and was out the door before anyone thought anything of it. Or so
1: she thought. After she left, the teller grew suspicious and called Selena.
0: Selena still hadn't fully accepted that Yolanda had been stealing, despite all the evidence against her. But now it was undeniable. She called Yolanda and told her she wanted all the bank documents she'd taken as soon as she got back to Texas.
1: The next day, Yolanda made another trip to a place to shoot and repurchased the gun she'd returned just 11 days earlier.
0: March 30th, 1995. Yolanda checked in to a Days Inn motel in Corpus Christi, Texas. She was in room 158 on the far side of the ground floor.
1: That afternoon, she called Selena. She wasn't answering the phone, but she left several messages on her pager. Yolanda had all evening to plan her next move.
0: Selena finally called back at around 11 p.m. She said she'd be stopping by to pick up the missing bank documents. That's all she wanted to do.
1: When Selena arrived, Yolanda was frantic. She told her that while she was in Mexico, a man had abducted her from her car and raped her. She'd spent days hiding out in a motel in Monterey, afraid for her life. She even showed Selena bruises from where the attacker had beaten her with a baseball bat.
0: Selena couldn't decide whether to believe her or not. After about 20 minutes, she managed to calm Yolanda down, took the folder of bank records, and left.
1: It wasn't until she got home that she realized some of the documents were still missing. Yolanda had played her yet again.
0: Before Selena got the chance to call Yolanda, Yolanda called her. She said she was bleeding terribly from the rape and she needed to go to the hospital. It was after midnight, so Selena told her it would have to wait until morning. She hung up and went to bed.
1: The next morning, Selena woke up at 7.30 a.m., It was Friday, March 31st, 1995, just a couple weeks before her 24th birthday. It was a cool, overcast morning. She got dressed in a green sweatsuit, grabbed the keys to the pickup truck, and drove over to the Days Inn to meet Yolanda.
0: When she got there, Yolanda was in a panic. Selena tried to calm her down and drove her to the hospital as promised.
1: They made it there at about 9 a.m., the nurses noted the bruises on Yolanda's arms and legs, which didn't look like they'd been caused by a baseball bat,
0: as she had claimed. Selena put her finger to her lips and slipped behind the dividing curtain. She didn't want Yolanda to hear this.
1: The nurses said they couldn't perform a gynecological exam, since Yolanda was a legal resident of San Antonio, not Corpus Christi. The evidence they did have was inconclusive, It wasn't clear whether Yolanda was actually assaulted or not.
0: Selena told Yolanda they were going back to the motel. While driving back, Selena said it would be best if they spent some time apart.
1: They made it back to the hotel a little after 10 a.m. and went back to room 158, where Yolanda was staying.
0: As soon as the door closed, Selena asked for the missing bank records. She told Yolanda she no longer trusted her they argued for over an hour. So loudly, the other motel guests complained.
1: Yolanda insisted she'd given her all the records already. Selena grabbed Yolanda's briefcase and dumped it out onto the bed. Inside were folders full of bank papers, the last pieces of evidence that would prove she'd been stealing.
0: It was over now. Yolanda stuffed everything back into the briefcase. She thrust it at Selena and told her to leave.
1: Selena was still wearing the egg-shaped ring Yolanda had given her for Christmas. As one final act of vengeance, she yanked it off her finger.
0: That was a fatal mistake.
1: Selena grabbed the briefcase and turned to leave. As soon as she walked out that door, their friendship would be over. Yolanda would be nothing.
0: There was no time to think. Yolanda reached into her purse and pulled out the revolver. It was already loaded. She aimed, cocked the hammer, and shot.
1: Selena was hit in the back. It was 11.49 AM. Selena ran outside, screaming for help. She ran down the walkway toward the lobby, past the pool and parking lot, leaving a trail of blood nearly 400 feet
0: long. According to eyewitnesses, Yolanda followed her outside, pointing the gun after her, and screamed, bitch. After a moment, she lowered the gun and calmly walked back into her room.
1: Selena made it to the motel lobby and collapsed on the floor. The bullet had hit a major artery in her shoulder and she was losing massive amounts of blood.
0: The receptionist called 911. Two employees rushed to Selena and tried to stop the bleeding. It was too late. She was already barely conscious. The egg-shaped ring was still nestled in her palm. She'd been so shocked by the gunfire, she'd forgotten to drop it.
1: Before she could fade away, the receptionist leaned close and asked who shot her. Selena gasped out, Yolanda, room 158. Those were her last words.
0: Thanks for listening to Assassinations. Join us next week as we follow the aftermath of Selena's murder, Yolanda's nine-hour standoff with the police, and the public outcry that made Selena Quintanilla even more famous in death than she'd been in life.
1: If you're looking for more episodes or other stories of murder and crime, you can find us as well as all of Parcast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Castbox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. See you next Monday. Assassinations was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Assassinations is written by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Bill Thomas.